Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Great to be with you. Um, I Yes, I'm also very glad that I was able to get here as well, feeling like, you know, God was on my side there with the snow and everything <laughs> coming in from Washington, D.C. Julie picked me up last night and did an amazing job driving me here. Um, you know, she says that she had her hands just gripping the wheel last night as we were driving to my hotel, but I didn't see her sweat. So I was very impressed. Um, well, again, I'm Erin. It's so great to be with you. Uh, great to be with you all this morning. It's my joy to to be uh, here at the church to see where my very dear friend Will now lives and serves. I worked with Will for seven years in D.C., and as you may have experienced, when he first came to the church, I said, who is this Irishman? You know, <laughs> this soft-spoken, very wise Irishman. As you know, he has a million gifts, a million things he could do with what God's given him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is what are the things God's given us, that he's given us to serve his kingdom, he's given us to serve the church. I'm excited that I'm here on Connection Sunday and Community Sunday when we're all thinking about what is it that God is doing in our lives right now? Where does he want to use us? And maybe for you this morning, your greatest accomplishment is just getting here. <laughs> As Julie said, cleaning off the car, getting children you know, put to put clothes on, getting shoes on your own feet and getting here. And so congratulations. If that's your accomplishment today, well done. We should celebrate that. Um, and now we also want to think, why, why are we here? What is God doing in our lives? I had a professor in seminary who used to say, God is certainly busy. God is certainly busy. And so God is busy here at the Ridge doing things in the unseen that we may be aware of or we may think, Aaron, God's not doing anything in my life. Maybe you actually come in this morning, maybe you're tired. Maybe your spiritual life feels a little bit dry. Well, the amazing thing about God we see through the people of God in Scripture is that God is always using us, even when we may feel we're under construction. I often feel like the Israelites should have had signs that said, you know, under construction, pardon our mess. <laughs> and in some sense, I think all of us in Christ this morning could have a sign on like that, right? I'm under construction. God's building me. He's building my community, my church, my family. Pardon my mess. But the amazing thing is, even in the midst of wearing those signs, God used the Israelites for what for his will on earth. So we're going to start this morning in a story that you're probably very familiar with in Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, we meet Moses. And Moses is a shepherd. He's just a shepherd. He's out in his fields. He's been a shepherd for about 40 years. He's got his shepherd's staff with him. Now, I was going to bring, I have a few walking sticks from Africa when I lived there as a kid. And so I was going to bring a walking stick, but customs wouldn't let me do that, you know, <laughs> through the airport. So picture this is a, a shepherd's staff. So a long shepherd's staff made of wood. So he's got that. He's in his field. It's a normal day. Picture your Monday your Tuesday morning, maybe you're at your desk, bleary-eyed, you know, drinking coffee, just an ordinary day. Well, he's got his sheep and he's out there doing his normal Monday morning thing. And all of a sudden a bush catches on fire. But the weird part about this was that it wasn't consumed. The bush didn't disappear. It was just a flame. 
So I love what the scripture says. The scripture says that Moses saw it and thought, I should go check that out. That's the, that's the Aaron translation, not the NIV. But essentially he said, what is, that's weird. I gotta go look at that. So he goes over to it and he hears God's voice. God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Yeah, you got it. You got me, Lord. I feel like it's like on the phone. Yeah, you got Aaron. She's here. So he's like, I'm here. And then the Lord says something surprising. The Lord says, Moses, I have heard the suffering of my people in Egypt, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to rescue them. And you know how I'm going to rescue them? I'm going to have you go to Pharaoh, and you're going to ask him to release my people. Moses is like, no, Lord. (laughs) No, who am I? Don't send me. That's a terrible idea. He says, no, Lord, you're going to send me? Why would you send me? And the Lord says, don't worry. I'll go with you. I'm going with you. Well, Moses says, well, what if they ask me? Who is it that has sent you? And God said, tell them I am. The I am has sent you. So Moses is still not sure. Moses is still, as I like to say, going, you know, are you sure that it's me? I mean, hypothetically, if this goes badly, just asking for a friend, you know, (laughs) what am I supposed to do? So that's where we pick it up in chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail So Moses reached out his hand, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into his staff in his hand. This, the Lord said, is so they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So here Moses is. He's got this message. God's going to do something incredible. But Moses is having a hard time believing that God's going to do that through him. Right? God's like, this is a great plan. I'm loving what we're doing here, the direction this is going. Let's free the people of God. I'm just not sure it's me that you want to use. And so God asks him this question, this very poignant question. And the Bible is full of poignant questions. I feel like you could do sermons for a whole year every Sunday on a different question that someone in the Bible asks. It's important. The one here is this question, what's in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? What was in Moses' hand? A staff. It was a shepherd's crook. It would have been made of wood. He probably would have carried it for 40 years. Probably the same one would have been kind of molded to his hand. It was an ordinary piece of wood, an ordinary object. As ubiquitous in that culture as a cell phone is in ours, right? You could all pull your cell phone out of your pocket right now. It's just a normal object, but we use it every day. It could also be a little germ covered and smelly and you know much like his shepherd staff would have been because sheep are kind of smelly so basically he has a smelly stick in his hand and God says I'm going to use that and that's what's amazing actually about this story it's only the beginning of God using something so ordinary in Moses's life to do supernatural things in fact God would use that shepherd staff over and over again in the book of Exodus The next thing that God would do is he'd ask Moses to use that staff to begin the plagues in Egypt. When we move further on in Exodus, we see it was that staff with God's power attached that parted the Red Sea. 
Later on in Exodus, we see that God asked him to take that staff and to hit the rock so water would come out for the Israelite people. And even further on in the battle of Rephidim, you may know this story well. God said, raise up your hands, Moses, and you'll win this battle. And Aaron helped him lift up his hands when he got tired. And what was in his hands when he raised them? His staff. So God took this very ordinary object, this very natural object, and he made it supernatural. That was God's plan all along. And I've seen this. I've had an experience of someone telling me an extraordinary story about something so ordinary that God used in a supernatural way. When I was in seminary, I got to go to a refugee camp in northern Kenya. And I was spending some time with a community there of Sudanese, Sudanese Christians. There were about 30,000 Sudanese Christians that were refugees in this camp, and they'd been there about 12 years. And this particular tribe of the Sudanese are called the Dinka people, and they were all new Christians, first-generation Christians. The gospel had just gotten to the Dinka people in sort of the late 80s, 90s. And so these were first-generation Christians. They didn't even have the Bible in their language, but they knew the gospel. They knew that God had come, that Jesus had come to save them, to rescue them, to turn their lives around. And so they had accepted Christ. And when they accepted Christ, they each made one of these crosses. And they would carry them with them to church. You can see the one they gave me here is the one in my hands today. They would carry them to church. And everybody, I noticed thousands of people under this tent at church on a Sunday. Everyone with their special wooden cross they'd made and decorated in whatever way they wanted. So they all had these crosses. So they become Christians in these villages in the southern Sudan. And if you know your history, you know about the lost boys. And you know what happened with the southern Sudan, particularly with the Dinka people, is that the government, the Muslim government, ran them out of the country. It was a genocide, essentially. They came down into the south, and they would go burning their villages. And along the way, they would they would murder people. And so a lot of the boys and men would be out in the fields working. They were an agrarian society. So the women and children were left in the villages. And so they told me these stories of how they would hear the helicopter coming, or they'd hear the horses coming, and they would run to the bushes. They'd run into the forest. And they said, Aaron, we took our crosses. It was the only thing we really took when we ran. We didn't have time to get anything else. And we'd be sitting in that bush, and they said, we put our cross in front of us, and we just prayed, Jesus, I don't know much about you, but I know that you're powerful. I know you come to save me. Will you save my life? Will you spare me and my children? And they told me miraculous story after miraculous story about how their attacker wouldn't find them. Even in a situation where the bush wasn't that full, they should have been able to see them. It was like God blinded their eyes and they never found them and the families escaped. God took something so natural and added on his supernatural. And that was God's plan here with Moses. And that's God's plan with you and I. What's in your hands? What's in your hands this morning that you think, oh, that's just normal, Aaron. That's ordinary. That's just something that's a part of who I am. God's not going to use that for something extraordinary. But God's asking, what is in your hands this morning? Not what's in your hands that you could have from someone else. You know, one of the things I love about Will, Heron, uh, is his many talents. And sometimes I might be tempted to go, well, I, I wish I had what was in Will's hands. <laughs> you know, I can't play guitar like that, you know. And he has an, a mind for apologetics. It's absolutely amazing. The stuff he can hold in his brain uh, makes my head spin. Sometimes I wish I had that side of his mind. It's easy for us when God says, what's in your hands? 
to kind of look next door, you know, <laughs> the person next to us, maybe just sitting right next to you. And you think, well, if I had what was in their hands, God could use me. God's not asking you to get something from someone else's hands. He's not asking you to even go and buy something or put something in your hands that he can use. He's asking just this morning, what is in your hands? It's Connection Sunday as we were talking, Community Sunday. And we know that none of the work we do in the kingdom is by ourselves, right? It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because we're ordinary, just like Moses. We're ordinary people that God wants to use for extraordinary things. And I am passionate about this idea of the body of Christ, that we're all useful for God, even if we don't feel like it. That's why I love that Paul included the story of the body of Christ, right? Literally saying, like, the hand is as important as the eye, as the ear. Sometimes it's tempting in the church to think that people who are on staff, maybe people who are on this stage or who get paid, we call them professional Christians, you know, <laughs> like myself. Those are the ones God wants to use. But that's not me. I don't work full time for the church or whatever it is. But God wants to use everyone. Maybe you feel like you're just a big toenail, you know, and you're like, God, I'm just this big toenail. How are you going to use me? But God wants to use every part of the body of Christ. His kingdom is coming via the entire body of Christ. My experience of community and the importance of the person next to you being as important as you are is really seen in one of my favorite hobbies, which is I'm on a rowing team. I know there's rowing in Iowa. Someone was just talking to me about it. So here we are. This is morning practice, so forgive us. It's not perfect. It's 5 o'clock in the morning on this river in Washington, D.C. I'm in the front stroking the boat, and the goal, as you might know, in rowing is to get your blades to hit the water at the same time. You want everything in the same timing. And if anyone's slightly off, it throws off your speed. It throws off the whole boat. You want your whole body, everyone's bodies, to be moving to the front and the back of the boat at the same time. Each person is important, just like they are in the church. And now this is a PSA for those of you who do the rowing machine in the gym. <laughs> and I've had this, uh, sometimes when I go to the gym and I see someone doing the rowing machine, I go, oh, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. So there is a myth about rowing. And the myth, I think, is where the power comes from. So where does the power come from in rowing, do you think? You can say it out loud. Legs, arms. So the myth is typically that comes from your arms. Now, if it came from my arms, I would be in serious trouble. <laughs> that boat would not be going very far. The actual reality of rowing technique is it's your whole body. Every part of your body matters. So if I had a rowing machine on stage, they wouldn't let me bring it on the plane. But if I had a rowing machine, I would show you the how it goes. This is also just to help those of you who want to not kill your back on a rowing machine. So the goal is, say you're scrunched up like this. First, it's your legs. Straighten out your legs. That's where the power, that first bit of power comes from. Then you use your back. Then you use your arms. And then you do it in reverse. Your arms go out, your back goes forward, and then your legs. Okay? So that's what we're going for in a really good rowing stroke. Okay? This is good. You expected this this morning, didn't you? Someone was going to be rowing on stage? Okay, good. This is what you get to do as a guest speaker. You get to be weird because, you know, you're not coming back, so it's fine. Um, so rowing is your whole body. And I think there's a myth about the church. The myth about the church, too, is that it's only certain parts of the church that are valuable to God. Certain parts of the body of Christ. But as Paul would say, it's the whole body that matters. It's a full-bodied sport. My high school coach used to say, if you could pick up a pencil after rowing in a race, you didn't give it all you got. 
Every part of you was important. Every part of you was a part of what God was doing. So let's think about what's in your hands this morning. What's in your hands? Is it a gift, a talent? Is it an experience you've had in your life with a group of people in a part of the world? There's no mistake that you're in your neighborhood. You're at this church. You're in that company. You're in that school with that community, with those children. God uses everything in our hands for his work. What's in your hands this morning? Maybe it's a part of your personality and you think, well, that's just a part of who I am. That doesn't, God doesn't want to use that. As you may be able to tell, I am an introvert. Just kidding. I'm an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. I get up in the morning after coffee and I say, where are the people? You know, show me the people. That may not be you and that's perfectly fine. But I think God uses my extroversion for his kingdom. One of the things I've wanted to cultivate as a follower of Jesus just in my own life is being interruptible to the Holy Spirit. I want God to be able to use me in the moment. Even when my plan is to go over here and do this thing, I want God to be able to say, Aaron, you know, Knock, knock. Aaron, hang on. I want you to do this thing in this moment. I want you to talk to this person. God, often as I'm, as I'm traveling, even on airplanes or walking around the street, God might just drop something in my little brain and say, Aaron, I want you to tell that person they're loved by me. Or Aaron, I want you to tell that person that I've, I've heard their prayers. Now, am I always interruptible to the Holy Spirit? No, right? Because I'm a human. I'm a, I'm a human vessel God uses. And sometimes I'm like, God, that's very interesting, but I'm on my way to get my hair cut, you know? And I don't want to be late to whatever it is. Or, God, I've got this project I've got to work on. I don't have time. So I am also imperfect in being interruptible to the Holy Spirit. But it is one of my goals. And I think God uses my extroversion to be willing to talk to a stranger and tell them what it is that God has said to me to them. So what's something that may just seem ordinary? Maybe you're very detail-oriented. Maybe you're very task-oriented and you've seen that as a negative thing. And God's saying, no, this is a positive thing I want to use for my glory, for my community. Maybe you're a really good cook. Or maybe you love making things beautiful, styling things. Maybe you're a great manager in your office. What is something that may seem natural and ordinary to you that God wants to use for extraordinary things? It's appropriate today as we're talking about community and Connectedness Sunday that we're also celebrating nationally this weekend the life and the legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's the reason that we have tomorrow off in many parts of the country. And Dr. King has a what's-in-your-hands story. He was only 26 years old when he was asked to do the first major public thing, which was to be to head up the Montgomery bus boycott. So they looked around for a leader, and they asked him to do it. He was 26. He'd just become a pastor. It's the beginning of his ministry. And he said, in his autobiography, he says that he looked around and said, well... If no one else will do it, I'll do it. (laughs) Which is a little bit like Moses. It reminds me of the Moses moment. And don't we all have those moments? Okay, God. Well, if no one else will do it, and we sort of look around in desperation that someone else come forward, then I'll do it. And I think one of the reasons that Dr. King was used by God in that moment, not just that he was a great orator, which he clearly was, and not just that he had great courage, which he clearly did, But I think he had an imagination that God wanted to use. 
He could picture this thing called the beloved community. Out of his understanding of God and our call to reconciliation in the body of Christ, he had this vision for what a beloved community could be, what our country could look like in a time when it didn't look like that at all. And he says this. He says, but the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It's the type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. The type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of aesthetic or romantic love. It's not philia, a sort of reciprocal love between friends. But it's agape, which is understanding goodwill for all men. It's an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It's the love of God working in the lives of men. This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. What's in your hands? What does it look like to seek the community God seeks? So let's go back to our story. Moses is there. He's got his staff and and God says, okay, well, throw it down. So he throws it down. And then God turns it into a snake. And Moses goes, ah! Okay, so I would have said that too. (laughs) I would have stepped back as well. We don't know exactly what kind of snake it was, but a lot of um, historians will say they think it was a cobra. And a cobra was actually the symbol for the Egyptian uh, government. It was sort of a symbol for Pharaoh. So there's a, a symbolic thing happening here where God is turning it into a snake, but he then is asking Moses to pick up the snake. Now, if I were Moses and God said, now pick it up by the tail, I would have gone, mm, you first. <laughs> or looked around. Who else have I got? Who else have we got who could do this? But he picks it up by the tail. Probably one of the scariest things culturally that he could have encountered was the snake. So he picks it up. He picks it up and then God does two more miracles with Moses in that moment to show him, I'm going, I'm in control. I've got this. I'm not calling you to something that I'm not going to go with you into with my power. But what I love about this is that Moses had enough faith to pick up a snake by the tail, but he didn't have enough faith to believe God could use him. (laughs) He had enough faith to pick up a live snake by the tail but he didn't have enough faith to believe God could use him. And I think we do this as just normal human Christians. We have faith that God answers people's prayers. We have faith that the Bible is true and talks about the living God. We have faith that God can heal someone over there. But we don't have enough faith often that God can use us and what's in our hands. In fact, we often say to God, well, if I had something different in my hands, then, then I would be prepared. I'm sure Moses thought this as well. If I have a sword in my hand or something more useful for freeing, you know, thousands of people, that would be great. We often think to ourselves, if I had a different job, maybe if I had more time in my hands or more resources, or maybe if I had a different spouse, Don't elbow your spouse. Maybe if I had a different spouse or lived in a different country or was a different gender or had a different job or education. What is it for you? What is it for you that pops into your head and you think, if I was this way, then God could use me. We all have it. But that's the enemy of our souls. 
speaking. The enemy of our souls wants us to think that what's in our hands is not enough. The enemy of our souls says, you're not enough. What you've got in your hands is not enough for God. He wants to use someone else. You can't trust him with what small measure you have. But God says the opposite. God says, I will take your stinky stick (laughs) and I will use it for my kingdom. I will put super on your natural because the power comes from me, not from you. We see story after story of God taking simple things in scripture. He took a young boy with five loaves and two fish, right? Ordinary, nothing, not even enough for a really good meal. And he fed 5,000 people. Mary of Bethany had that jar of precious ointment. She poured onto Jesus's feet. The disciples got mad, right? But Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's story will be told. As I was praying about this uh, second service, I felt like God said that there's, there's someone here today, someone listening, and that's your story. You actually feel like you've given to God what's in your hand, and it was precious, like that jar of ointment, and you haven't seen the return. And you're wondering if God's really going to use that ordinary thing that you feel you've already given out. And God is saying he will. He's saying nothing comes back void. Well, then we have Dorcas. She was had a needle and thread. She was a seamstress. The only one I think shows up in the actual Bible. And then we have David with his sling and his harp. What he had wasn't great, but it was great because of the God who used it. We had Gideon. He had lamps and pitchers and trumpets, and he went into battle, (laughs) which is a crazy idea. He had these ordinary things, but God used them. And lastly, the widow with the two mites. It seemed like nothing. The disciples were like, you know, this is not useful for the kingdom. And God said, this is all she needs. This is all I need if given to me. What's in your hands? You're not empty-handed. You're not God forsaken. You're a treasure in an earthen vessel that God can use. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what's in your hands. Let's stand as I finish. Let's, if you'll stand with me, if you're able. And if you'll just take out your hands and make one hand a fist and leave one hand open. The fist hand is a symbol of what we're holding back from God. All of us probably have something this morning that we think, gosh, Lord, this is precious to me. I'm not sure I want to trust you with it. What if I don't get it back? There's something you maybe even feel have you've already lost. And so the fist is just around what you already feel you're mourning and you're, you're not ready to give anything else to the Lord. Or maybe the fear that God won't be able to provide whatever it is you need. We've all had those moments of fear, of anxiety before the Lord like that. That's human. That's okay. But then the other hand is another option. This is the open hand. And this symbolizes our openness to the Lord saying, Lord, I know everything you've given me is from you. I know I don't hold on to anything that it didn't come from you. I give you again my my marriage, my house, my friendships, my job, my career, my health. I give it to you, Lord, for your glory. Every day as followers of Jesus, we have the option to make one of these hand gestures to the Lord, right? So I want to pray for us now. Let's pray. And you can put your hands down if you'd like. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. 
If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.